Welcome to the Murthy Law Firm Teleconference Series. We are so pleased and delighted to have so many of you attend our monthly teleconference series. Today's topic is dealing with what to do when the USCIS Office of Fraud Detection and National Security, FDNS, knocks on your company door. To those who are not yet familiar with my voice, this is Sheila Murthy, the founder and president of the Murthy Law Firm. As is standard with our policy, we do not allow any tape recording of this session, so please hit the stop button or do not plan on tape recording this because it is a violation of law as it is patented copyrighted material of the Murthy Law Firm. As you can imagine, in this day and age, with consulting companies being targeted, it's really, really scary from the employer point of view, from the company point of view. It's also bad, I think, personally, from an economic point of view, where companies are the ones hiring people, and companies are feeling the wrath of the government if they go a little astray, and sometimes the difficulty is not knowing the rules and not understanding when one may be potentially in violation of a rule, or a law, or a regulation, or the statute. I have with me two brilliant, esteemed colleagues of mine uh, who actually pretty much focus exclusively in the area of corporate compliance with audits and investigations type of work on behalf of all of our company clients or individuals or companies that contact us because they have received a knock on the door either by the U.S. Department of Labor or by the Immigration and Customs Enforcement or uh, by the Fraud Detection and National Security, or FDNS, as I just explained. For those who are not familiar, FDNS is really part of the USCIS and not part of the Department of Labor and Department of Homeland Security like ICE is. By way of background on my two esteemed colleagues who are on my panel today, we have Brian Green. Brian has a JD, or a Juris Doctor, from Case Western Reserve University School of Law. He's been a trial attorney. He's done criminal law, and he's done corporate litigation. As I explained, he's now doing corporate compliance audit and investigations at the Murthy Law Firm. I also have another equally brilliant, smart, talented lawyer, Andrew Steinberg, whom we call Drew here. Drew has 14 years of experience with the federal government in various immigration law positions. He joined the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, which unfortunately we're all too familiar with that term ICE nowadays, when the Department of Homeland Security was first formed back in March of 2003. So he was with the former INS before, and then he became part of ICE. Um, he ended up, he became the Deputy Chief of Enforcement Law Division for ICE, and he then moved to DHS uh, headquarters where he advised top policy advisors on various immigration law issues. So clearly, if you want an incredible panel, smart lawyers who know the inside workings of the government and who can guide and help you and your business and your company, God forbid, there should be the knock on the door. You have come to the right place with our incredible team here at the Murthy Law Firm. Okay, Brian, can you just give us a little bit of a brief background on what exactly... When people talk about the surprise visits by USCIS to employers, can you just describe briefly what exactly happens? Sure, Sheila. Often companies will call us and have questions, and they'll say a FDNS officer or an FDNS agent came to the headquarters of the company 
and asked to speak to certain employees, asked for documents, or asked for information about where people were working at. So often it's just an unannounced visit by FDNS. It can also be a letter or a phone call from an FDNS agent or officer seeking certain information. And if the company is not prepared, it can definitely cause great panic in the organization. Absolutely. Often employers don't know what they should do or should not do, so they ask the FDNS officer in and they just start giving a tour and answering questions, and that's when you lose sort of control of what's going on with your company. And it's usually in connection with H-1B applications? Usually, yes. Okay. And... um what do they come in and do, and what exactly do they say? What do they ask to do? They often ask to see where certain employees are working. They may come and ask about one specific H-1B worker. They may ask for job descriptions for that person. They may also ask who the supervisor for that person is. But they're looking to see how that person works within the company, and they're awful, often double-checking against what documents were filed with the CIS for the H-1B petition. So they basically will come in sometimes or often and ask to interview company officials, ask to interview other employees, specific named employees, all employees in general, broad requests. And if you as an employer are not prepared or have not planned in your mind how to respond to such an uh, abrupt request when someone suddenly knocks on your door and what your obligations are and what the consequences are, then it is going to be a huge uh, problem because psychologically we've already lost before you even started playing the game with them. Okay, so by way of background, for those who are wondering, why on earth is this happening? And one of the most common questions we get asked all the time is, was that Obama that's responsible for this, President Obama? Because I voted for him and I'm so mad at myself for having voted for him. And the answer a little bit is maybe yes, and maybe not 100% got to do with that, but to a large extent, there is some truth to it. Uh, part of Obama's, President Obama's campaign, when he was fighting to become the president, his pledge was to focus on enforcement effort on employers, not on employees, because he felt that you want to blame the person who's bringing in people who are unauthorized to work. And his Department of Homeland Sec- Secretary, Janet Napolitano, she re- reaffirmed this intention of, her ad, of his administration and now her department in her Senate confirmation hearing in earlier this year on January 15th. Well, there are two major parts to this whole thing. There's the I-9, which has been a huge target, targeted area for enforcement, which is the hiring of unauthorized workers, uh, which we are not going to discuss today, and two, the benefit fraud area, where there's an issue. And what is benefit fraud? It's obtaining immigration benefits by making a false statement on an application or petition or to a government officer or official. And why do they come up with the word benefit fraud? Because if an employer says, checks off, I'm not H-1 dependent when they are. Or because the employer may say, well, I didn't read that form. It was in fine print. Sorry, that's not that excuse as you we all know. Or, sorry, I didn't realize X. Or I put the salary that I would pay 65, but actually I was only paying 55. Sorry, that's again fraud, that's misrepresentation. And as I have pointed out repeatedly, these forms, most immigration forms, are signed under penalty of perjury and therefore have serious criminal consequences. And the big focus for the government now is the H-1B program. It's not like in the old days when it was just those who were illegal because most educated people and most companies who are now on this conference call today tend not to hire unskilled or uneducated workers. When you're hiring H-1 workers, we always thought we were pretty safe. Well, guess what? 
Today, the administration's agenda is completely focused towards H-1B employers. And why the H-1B program, you may wonder? Well, as you know, there was a study by the USCIS FDNS office, which came out in September of 2008, which I know is on our website, on murphy.com, which concluded that H-1B fraud was running at a very high rate, up to close to 30% of the sample for some violations. The study then included a lot of the violations on the applications or the H-1B petitions and the LCAs, as well as the failure to comply with H-1B regulations. And various examples of the kinds of violations that were shown were employees who were working at different work locations, okay? This is a big, big deal, which many of you, as employers, forget to file LCAs prior to the employee moving to the new work location. You've got to do it. That is the law. You're agreeing to do it because a change in work location is a major fundamental change in the H-1B petition and often may even require a new H-1B filing, not just an LCA amendment, especially if you're doing it after the fact. Okay? And so you have employees who work at different work locations than was specified on the LCA. There's a failure to pay the required wage, which we just touched upon. There's a benching. Benching is not allowed. If you're doing benching, unfortunately, you have to pay the full wage as stated on the LCA and on the H-1 petition and or employees who are performing either different job duties or completely new job duties or variation of the job duties then was specified on the LCA and the H-1B petition um, and the supporting documents. We also have uh, the same study which pointed out that computer professionals were identified as high fraud rate group. Very unfortunate for all of you because majority of the companies, even if you're not a computer consultant company, but you're a large company doing manufacturing or insurance or healthcare or something else, if you have a large section that's devoted to the computer professionals or hiring of computer professionals, the government believes that there is a high level of fraud going on with the hiring and retention on H-1B of computer professionals. And unfortunately, in terms of nationality, the H-1B for Indian-owned companies employees or employers in particular were identified at a high rate, nationality and, and employers. But fraud investigations are not limited only to such investigations of such companies, but it's clearly something that they believe will yield them a good result or return on their investment. The effort was launched within the federal government to combat fraud that involves multiple agencies, and that's why now we have the USCIS, the ICE, the Department of Labor, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess from their perspective, but unfortunately for us, hand in glove, and now the transparency and exchange of information is much more. So let me go to you, Brian, and ask you, who exactly are the players in fraud enforcement, and what should our clients be looking out for? Absolutely. Sheila, the, the three groups that do a lot of the fraud enforcement are the Department of Labor, which you just mentioned, the Department of Homeland Security, and also, to some degree, the Department of State. The Department of Labor often goes in and looks at public access files for H-1B workers, and they're looking at the labor condition applications because that's the source of the DOL's authority. They're looking at the LCAs. DHS also investigates fraud both through that FDNS office you've been speaking about and also ICE, which is the criminal investigation arm of the DHS. 
And part of the reason that these different groups are involved is that the anti-fraud fee that employers pay when they file an H-1B petition, that $500 per application is split between the DHS, the DOL, and the Department of State. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so now they're coordinating, exchanging information, sharing information, and we've seen that one investigation by one. If DOL comes, concludes their investigation, next thing we see ICE knocking on the door, and after ICE we see USCIS or FDNS officials coming and knocking on the door. Um, So let's do this. Because of the time constraints involved, and we try to keep our recording to just 30 to 45 minutes, what we're going to try to do in today's session is we're going to try to do this as a two-part series. In part one today, we're going to focus on giving a quick overview of the Department of Labor and ICE, and then I'll give a very broad overview of what USCIS does, and then next session we will focus 100% on issues dealing in detail what exactly to do when USCIS shows up at your company door. And that way, if somebody was traveling or missed this session, it's a great chance to tell your co-workers or your HR person to actually plan to attend this session, but of course not to record it, remember. Okay, so Brian, tell us a little bit about the Department of Labor and uh, what exactly they have been doing and where their investigative authority comes from. The Department of Labor organization that's involved here is the Wage and Hour Division. They've been active over the last several years, and they really go and look at employers to see if they're violating the H-1B program, primarily to do with back wage obligations. And what they'll do is they'll go in and ask for payroll and LCAs. And every H-1B employer has the duty to maintain a public access file for each LCA that was taken for H-1Bs. So they'll ask for the public access file records, they'll ask for the payroll, and they'll start to look, usually for one year to begin with, and then maybe on a second year if there's violations, they'll look to see if the H-1B workers are paid less than the prevailing wages that were promised on the LCAs. They'll look to see if the required wages increased and therefore the workers were not paid what they were supposed to be paid. They'll look to see if benefits are different from U.S. workers to H-1B workers. And when they find problems in a company's performance or actions, they have a range of remedies, which could be fines, but it also could lead to debarment where the H-1B employer is prohibited from having H-1Bs, having LCAs, or having green cards sponsored by that company from anywhere from one to three years, which for most H-1B employers is a severe penalty. Aha, uh-huh. Okay. And also we have find public access files, displacement confirmations, and you talked about both the monetary violations, back wages, banning the employers, findings of fraud, and then the coordination effort which leads to it. And uh, so you've had a lot of experience in this area, and that's pretty much all you do majority of the time? It is. We've had a lot of different investigations with DOL across the entire U.S., and we've seen more activity from DOL over the past couple of years, but now FDNS is increasing. Mm -hmm. But they do cooperate. You'll see ICE officers going on site either with FDNS or by themselves, and you'll see Department of Labor wrap up a case, and then ICE or FDNS comes in one month later looking at different issues. So it is apparent that they are exchanging information on employers. And, and if nothing else, if you keep all your paperwork as an employer or business in order, you follow the rules, you audit your files, you keep your ducks in a row, 
Um, okay, they may find some violations, hopefully they won't, but if they do, you minimize your penalties, you really work with a professional team that can guide and mentor you. And because we've seen a wide variety of cases across the country, and we believe we've saved in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars for companies and clients, in some cases only tens of thousands of dollars, and we've pretty much in most cases prevented any kind of criminal actions by, by trying to negotiate. But again, it depends, I guess, on the severity of the offense. Fortunately, we haven't had any egregious ones. And where we have, we've tried to minimize it and show good faith. And by showing the good faith in advance, rather than waiting for someone to knock on your door, I think will help a long way in when these investigations happen. Thank you so much, Brian. Now coming to Drew, our resident expert, whom I had introduced early on, as you know, and for those of you who are joining us late in the teleconference, Drew has almost 15 years of experience with the federal government in various immigration positions and, in fact, ended up, as I said earlier, re uh, leaving them to join the incredible team at the Murthy Law Firm as a full-time member of our wonderful team. Uh, and when he left the USCIS or the Department of Homeland Security, as he was the Deputy Chief of Enforcement Law Division for ICE. I mean, my God, you can't get somebody with the better inside knowledge to explain and understand ICE and its workings. So Drew, without further ado, we'd like for you to give us a quick overview on how the ICE system works, not just what they, my, our clients can read on the books, but a little bit of the inside scoop, anything that you're legally allowed to share with us. Sure, thank you, Sheila. Uh, it's true. I've, I've moved from the dark side to the side of good. Yay, yay, yay. Good decision. Join us. And, um, you know, part of the reason why I changed was I really want to try to use the experience that I gained in the government to, um, to try to help protect our clients and, you know, shield them against the evil government. <laughs> oh, no, no. We don't want to go too much, but, yeah, it's good that we have the inside knowledge and we're delighted and honored to have uh, you as part of our wonderful team here. Thank you, thank you, I'm uh, obviously just joking. Um, yeah, I wanted to uh, just give a brief rundown of where ICE fits into this whole fraud enforcement scenario um, and give some insights. Um, most people know of ICE or Immigration and Customs Enforcement as an agency that goes after illegal immigrants, uh, tries to pick them up, detains them, and puts them in removal proceedings. And that's certainly one of their core roles. But in addition to this, there's a very large part of what ICE does deals with investigations and investigating employers for violations of the immigration laws. Um, and even though DOL has uh, very substantial powers and authorities to impose fines, to debar companies from getting H-1Bs and other immigration benefits, ICE is perhaps the scariest agency uh, that someone might have to deal with because they conduct criminal investigations and they work with local U.S. attorney's offices um, to prepare cases for prosecution. And you know what? You're absolutely right. That is part of the reason I think most companies and businesses, honestly, if someone wants to take away every penny of the money I've ever made this whole life, I'm not going to be happy, but I'll live with it. But if someone says, not only are we going to take away all your money, we're also going to throw you in jail or in prison with a bunch of other thugs and criminals, you're now talking a completely different ballgame, and that's part of the reason that a lot of companies are hesitating to file H-1 petitions anymore, which is why it sort of ties in with the economy going downward spirally. Okay, so now that you've scared the living daylights out of all of us and our clients. Right. Um, so can you give us a, a sample of the criminal statutes and what kind of cases? Sure. Um, uh, first thing I want to point out, just mm -hmm. before I get to that, mm -hmm. is that 
as we've said, there's cooperation between all these agencies. And oftentimes when uh, the DOL comes in or USCS, FBNS comes in, they will request to interview company officials. And even though these interviews are um, made for the purpose of those specific investigations, employers need to be aware that anything they say in those interviews could later be transmitted to ICE and later be used in a criminal investigation against them. And those officers that did the interviews, they can show up in court and testify as to exactly what that company official said. Aha! So when a lot of you all as companies say, well, I have nothing to hide. I will open the door and say, please come in. Well, I don't know that that's so brilliant or wise without having your lawyer present because any information you say can and will be used against you in a court of law because that's what's allowed under criminal law, as Drew is just explaining with his extensive experience with eyes. So when you say something, be very, very careful because it may look very innocent and may look like a simple fact, but that fact, if it doesn't match up with another fact and there's an inconsistent statement, it will be used against you and you will find yourself in deep trouble because you didn't have a lawyer point out the inconsistencies in your discussions. Right. And okay, true. Absolutely true. And another thing I would point out is that because these investigations are fairly recent because of the shift in policy, um, they are going after actions that in the past uh, have not been enforced. And therefore, many employers make the mistake of thinking that I've been doing this for so long and I've never been investigated, so I must be doing it right. And that's a mistake because, because now that the resources are being shifted, now they're going after things that before were not really considered to be big deals. And right, so, and because of the change in the government's administration that I talked about earlier with Obama and the whole Janet DiPolitano, you're saying because of this entire change in the focus, they were sort of turning a blind eye, they sort of didn't think of it as huge, and now they're coming back and saying, we'll go after you, we'll shut you down, we'll throw you in jail, we'll make you pay penalties, back wages, right. slap you with this right. because it is a violation and you did sign these documents under penalty of perjury. Exactly. And for things that have been, that the companies for 10, 20, for 30 years, years, years and before, years. 10 years they've been doing it. They're saying, right. sorry, just because you got away with it in the past doesn't mean we'll let you escape any longer. Right. Exactly. So that's why. Seems a bit unfair if you ask me, because you do create a pattern of people thinking that that's okay or allowed or the government is sort of turning the other side. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Um, Can you give us, share with us any examples of recent either indictments or examples just so that, and I'm sure many of the people on this conference call are aware of some of the high profile ones. Sure. Um, just at the beginning of this year, there was an indictment that was, a uh, criminal indictment that was issued against a, uh, a company that was a, a computer consulting company. And some of the allegations in the indictment included um, uh, filling out the petitions uh, for jobs that really were speculative, that really didn't, didn't actually exist at the time, but which the company thought would materialize. Um, and on those applications, they were basically saying, here's the job, and here's where the work location is going to be, uh, when in reality, that really hadn't materialized yet. And that is something that was included in this criminal indictment as a false statement on the applications. Um, and they combined that with the fact that when the, if the person did come in and start working and then they were sent to, a, to their ultimate location to work for a client, uh, there was not, as we were, as Sheila, as you mentioned earlier, there was not a new LCA that was filed mm -hmm. before they went to that new location. 
So the person ended up working at a location where there was no pre-certification by the Department of Labor. And, that and so the question is, were they being underpaid for that job? Whether they were, you know, they clearly weren't even allowed to work in that location. And those are the those are the issues that you pointed out. That you know, same issues that we said repeatedly: failure to pay on bench, not paying them for the work location. Same issues that many of us as computer consulting companies have been dealing with and thinking. Well, that's the reality of how computer consulting companies work. But the government is saying, no way, that's not going to work. Exactly. And the, the penalties can be quite severe. Um, for example, the federal statute that, that talks about false statements made on applications carries a maximum penalty of five years in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and then often the government will use the mail fraud and the wire fraud statutes for sending these applications through the mail or over the Internet. Uh, that's a very good point. A lot of people ask me, what does wire fraud mean? What does it mean? I, Wire. So can you explain that, having worked in ICE and done criminal investigations? Sure, absolutely. So there's a criminal statute that says if you send a a false application through the mail to the government, then... Or by fax or any electronic transmission. Any electronic transmission, Mm -hmm. including the Internet, Mm -hmm. um, that you've committed uh, fraud through the public means of communication. Um, And there's a specific statute... That That's provides, the wire fraud. Right, that provi- mail and wire fraud that okay. provides separate penalties just for that act in addition to making the false statements themselves. So is the client, uh, can the client avoid this anyway? I guess not because they have to file the LCA either by fax with the Department of Labor or they have to mail it to them. So the minute you stick it in the mail, you've committed another federal crime unintentionally or inadvertently without realizing that's a separate criminal offense as Drew has just explained. It really seems unfair and a little scary. It is, it is very harsh. It is very harsh, especially uh, because these things were not enforced in the past. Um, and so it, it really points out the need for companies to review their, their policies with an attorney that's familiar with these areas because the, the chances of an audit or an investigation have gone up so dramatically um, that it really is a good investment at this point. Well, thank you, Drew. Any other thoughts, or should we get right to the USCIS summary now? Let's go right to the USCIS. Okay, great. So now the third agency. So we've gone over a little bit. Brian's done the Department of Labor quick overview. Drew has done a nice, a fairly detailed, but a fairly quick overview of the ICE authority and how ICE has been looking at issues. And now we'll get to the nitty-gritty of USCIS. I'll give you a broad overview, and then we'll do the part two of the series for next Month, the same first Wednesday, uh, you know, the first Wednesday of the month when we when we air it, um, but basically USCIS was not traditionally given any investigative authority. It was only meant to be adjudicative, in the sense that when they separated in March of 2003, the USCIS from ICE and from CBP, Customs and Border Protection, the three main agencies dealing with immigration. They clearly stated that the role of USCIS was to provide services or benefits to immigrants and to employers. And now, surprisingly, maybe because of the money, maybe because of the change in focus, they are taking hundreds and hundreds of millions of our dollars and now focusing back when the whole purpose of creating these three agencies was have one focus on investigation, one focus on service, and one in the issues dealing with people entering the United States. And now with the creation of FDNS in 2004, that's an internal Department of Homeland Security and it's part of USCIS, the Fraud Detection and National Security. Um, Well, 
the, uh, the growth for FDNS was projected uh, to have approximately 650 officers in the fiscal year 2009, which is the current fiscal year we're all in until September 30th of this year. And as you all know, fiscal year 2010 starts on October 1 of 2009. Pretty much, you have now FDNS officers who are looking for fraud in immigration law petitions like H-1Bs located in practically every USCIS office across the entire nation, and that obviously includes Hawaii and Alaska and every other part, so don't think you can you know, get away with it because it is pretty scary and annoying. Um, it, they, they, they do coordinate with the other law enforcement agencies like DOL and ICE, as we repeatedly mentioned. They have officers who are detailed to law enforcement components. They also work with the local prosecutors and they work with the local uh, police force, etc. And so the point is, it is not isolated. If they come in, they can share information with each other, and one investigation can lead to the other, as we just pointed out. DOL and ICE leads to FDNS knocking on your door. They do have the general authority to investigate pending applications. So if you file something with USCIS when they're knocking on your door, they could make a determination to put that on hold, to deny, to issue an RFE or a notice of intention to deny or annoyed. Um, Brian wants to say something? Sure. And they will also go out and look at already adjudicated petitions. So they may come to a company and say, we want to double check this H-1B petition. And you will say, this has been approved a year ago. I've got the 797 approval notice. They say they have the right to look at already approved cases, and they will compare to see where the person's working, what they're doing, and what their job category is. So they're looking at pending cases, and they're going back and looking at cases that have already been approved. That is really, really scary and seems a bit unfair because you thought, you know, you had an approval and now they're saying, sorry, we can revoke that petition approval. We're seeing quite a bit of that even in the I-140 green card arena. We're seeing that in the H-1B arena and very, very common, as many of you have probably already been experiencing, so-called simple H-1B extensions for people who were granted the first three years H-1B approval who thought, well, the first time is when it should be difficult, not the second time for renewal, are now getting slam dunk or being shot in the dark with denials of the extensions. And the, the employees are, of course, in a panic because sometimes their spouses are have traveled on H-4 and can't re-enter the United States, etc. So a lot of strategy and planning and making sure that you um, really keep your ducks in a row, both as an employer and to protect your employees, is taken into consideration, even when doing so-called simple H-1B extensions for the same employees. Of course, in the computer consultancy field, getting the end client letters is now becoming critical in the equation, as we all know. Um, So now we have FDNS that has general authority to investigate pending applications. They also have authority beyond specifics related to an application but they seem to be able to do that under the Homeland Security Act. Um, And even though there's a separation of functions, um, it seems like they're going after and doing a lot of the investigations in the the entire arena. And it's obviously not stopped the FDNS from showing up and asking all kinds of questions, asking for documents unrelated to the adjudication of an individual application or petition, including give me your records and documents that you filed with IRS in the last five years, your other employee records, their pay stubs, you know, who knows what employers might just cooperate and give the answers, and they are to some extent taking a shot in the dark. We're not even sure officially how much legal authority they actually have, and if they're challenged in a court of law, whether they would actually be forced to backpedal and backtrack. But 
if you, as an employer, open the door and say, come on, right in, well, then maybe you've helped because they'll say, we never forced them. They just volunteered all this unnecessary information and now we can use that against them. So be very, very careful when you think you're being helpful and honest and upfront and transparent because it can be dangerous and can come back and discuss it because it depends on which agency. DOL has definitely a more authority legally under the regulations than uh, USCIS does. So be very, very careful that you don't think that they're all police officers or investigators and one or the other has the same legal authority to go after you and your employee, uh, your, you and your business. Well, I know we're coming pretty close to our 30 minutes. And so what we want to do is to try and wrap up. As we've said right up front in the beginning, this is a, a two-part series. This is part one of two. And in part two, we're going to get into really specific questions so that you, your HR managers, and everybody in the company really does pay attention what to do if USCIS does show up at your company's door. We here at the Murthy Law Firm, with our amazing, smart team of attorneys and paralegals, and you had sampling of two of our most experienced and knowledgeable people in both Andrew Steinberg and Brian Green, who talked to you and explained uh, how the system works, how the process works, gave, shared with you a broad overview we can help and guide you even before there is any kind of an investigation. Uh, it is probably, they always say prevention is better than cure. It's so much less expensive, faster and easier. So go ahead and invest a little bit. It may cost a couple thousand dollars to 3,000 to do a preliminary audit, do it. We can do flat fees, they're very reasonable. We can help you to protect yourself, your company and your employees. And even though it seems so unfair that in this economic climate, climate that they're going after companies that can generate revenues and employees that will buy products. It seems, unfortunately, like it is the sign of the times where they are targeting businesses, companies, employers, employees, and therefore it's safer. It's better, safer to be protecting yourself, your company, your own peace of mind, your family. We really look forward to continuing to take very good care of you and your business, your employees, and your family, your peace of mind, and your sleep at night. So next month, the same time, same session, we will go over the details of what to do when the USCIS FDNS shows up at your company's door. We hope you enjoyed and got a broad overview and we look forward to having you with us. Again, no recording allowed and thank you so much for joining us today. Have a good day. Bye-bye.